Welcome to Telltales, an investing podcast hosted by Hunt Lawrence and Mike Nicoletti. As a reminder, nothing on this podcast should be considered investment advice. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you. Maybe we ought to swing into recession fears and impact on commodity prices. And I think that a recession is two quarters with real GNP decline. The first quarter had a 1.5% decline. In the second quarter, the most reliable estimate is the land of Fed. Because the second quarter is going to have a 2% decline. Don't think the economists who decide whether or not we have a recession are going to consider the first and second quarter of 2022 a recession because they're going to say that employment is too strong. I'm not sure I agree with that. And I think we're just talking the U.S. economy now for the third quarter, probably not going to be any better than the second quarter was. So then we'll have three quarters with real GNP decline. When we'll start to see something in the jobs market, you know, the jobs number for the preceding month comes out, I think this Friday. And if that starts going negative, I doubt it will be negative this Friday, but it might be smaller than projected. And they also announce what the unemployment rate is. I just can't imagine, given the businesses that, that I have some connection with, that there isn't going to be a reduction in jobs. For many things in the oil and gas business, for truck drivers and people that work on drilling rigs and people that work on completion crews, the complete wells, labor is very, very, very short and very expensive. I mean, the pay rates for people have gone up enormously. So at least the particular sectors of the economy I'm familiar with, I think employment will hold up. But how about retail? I mean, how about Target, you know, having to announce big inventory right down? How about Walmart, weaker than normal sales? How about Amazon, who clearly overexpanded? They may not let people go, but they may not rehire people where a reduction of employees happens just in a matter of course. I mean, I think in Amazon, the average employee only works there like two years or something. I'm talking about the people out delivering the uh, e-commerce products. So what does a recession mean? Does it mean that oil prices will be it's the fifth year in the oil contract, which is around 70 now? Does that mean what the price of oil is going to be? Is that what we should kind of look forward to? I don't think so. I think what we have in oil, and I'm going to talk about natural gas next and LNG and Met Coal. I'm going to talk about the things I know something about. I think what we have is a way, way underspending to try to meet, make up for the depletion. The reason for the underspending is the uncertainty about transitioning 
to battery cars in the case of oil or wind and solar in the case of natural gas and a pressure from a regulatory point of view, from a board of directors point of view to do more transition solutions to energy, whether it's transportation or, or heating your home or providing electricity. So what I believe is going to happen if you're a public company, let's say Magnolia to pick a company or EOG or Diamondback or Pioneer or Devon, you know, really well organized oil producers, Riley permanent for that matter, and you know, smaller company, but very, very well organized. What I think is going to happen is you've got to get your debt down so that you don't have to hedge. So you're not presented with, should I sell my oil forward for $70? You just don't sell your oil forward. You just take what is in the market. Now, the reason I think that approach is going to work is that the we're just going to have a series over the next several years, half a decade, full decade, where oil gets terribly short. And this is without something like the Ukraine invasion. Will oil demand go down over time because Half of all the households in the country and the United States have one battery car and one gas car and use the battery car for picking up groceries and kids at soccer practice and whatnot. Absolutely. I think that's going to happen. I think that's inevitable. So <clears throat> will there be maximum gasoline demand in the United States sometime in the next couple of years? Absolutely. But every oil well, even if it's in Saudi Arabia or you know, or some offshore field, you know, and Olympic offshore field starts to decline as soon as you put it on production. And there just isn't going to be the money spent. The Saudis are not going to spend the money. The rest of OPEC isn't going to spend the money. Russia goes without saying they're kind of a special case because they probably won't give up on Ukraine, which means they're going to be sanctioned forever. So that's oil. Now, do you do abandon these companies because they bring down because of recession fears and commodity prices. I don't think so. I don't think it's possible to make money trading. But what you have to do is when you have a downturn and that they appear to be discounting like $70 oil, you know, that's, that's a time if you check out everything else to look at the company and, and buy more or establish a position. And natural gas is much the same. The public natural gas companies are, for the most part, Marcel's companies. The only public companies in significant gas basins are Comstock, which is in the Haynesville, Chesapeake, which is more than half Haynesville, Southwestern, which is about a third of 40% Haynesville. But, you know, those are the public gas companies. Gas has come down significantly. I mean, the, the gas within a shoulder month $8 or $9 is just incredible. It's now down to about $6. The 25, 26 price is sold fairly, fairly well at 4, 450. At 4, 450, these companies just make enormous amounts of cash flow because they made, they came through a period before the pandemic where they had to, or during the pandemic where they had to make do with $2.50. So an extra $2 is pretty much all profit or cash flow. 
once again, these companies, Antero, which is a company we're connected with, have, haven't started. They they will not hedge again, I don't think. They're going to get their debt down and they're not going to hedge. And I think that may work out even better for gas than oil because power is going to get short. People made these commitments to use wind and solar and batteries and whatnot. And the power availability from that is just way delayed. And so consequently, coal plants, thermal coal plants are running longer. Natural gas got bit up. I mean, natural gas and power trade for about the same, but $8 gas is $0.08 cent power, $0.08 cent per kilowatt hour. I think gas would probably be more volatile to the upside than oil. The LNG, uh, the principal loss of demand now is the Freeport LNG plant, which is to be a day out of 13 B's current LNG capacity had an explosion and they're shut, they say, until sometime in December. But I don't think that's really made that much of a difference. I think what has made more of a difference is just supply and demand. You know, high prices call for more supply. Generally, Marcellus doesn't increase. It kind of flatlines, but Haynesville does. And then, of course, associated gas from the permanent does. So I think it's just a bit of other supplies compared to a few months ago. Also losing that piece of demand from Freeport LNG housing back there. LNG has gone nuts because uh, the Russians are threatening to cut off gas to Germany and the rest. So LNG, which had settled down to like $24 or something, is now 45 to 50 That doesn't make that much difference because there's about five feet a day of LNG capacity being constructed takes a year and a half or two years to build LNG facilities and we won't have the impact of that extra five feet for you know at least a couple of years. Metallurgical coal is an interesting case. There we follow it carefully because we have two. We have Ramco, which is a public company. We have a private company called Vitronite in Australia, which has done very well generating a lot of cash flow. Here you begin to see the interaction of China and the United States, which we need to get into some more. China is state-controlled, state-planned economy, and they are clearly having real GMP decline. But the Communist Party it will not hear of that. So they'll report 3 or 4% growth, even though every indicator shows that's just baloney. But they are interested in preserving the Communist Party in control, and especially the president for being controlled to be an effect president for life. So they will make up numbers and are doing it. But there's no question that key sectors in China have been running full out, but generating a lot of inventory. One of the places that's been running full out is the steel industry. China produces 52, 53% of all of steel consumed at the world. And the steel industry has been running full out and generating a lot of inventory of steel, which the central planners denied, but it's kind of a cute thing that Tencent, one of the Chinese tech companies, has an app called WeChat. And people on WeChat a week or two ago were taking pictures of these big piles of steel inventory and putting them up on WeChat. So you know, even with central planned economy, you can't necessarily overcome all this information floating around on the internet. The thermal coal, because solar and wind have been slow to show up, the price for thermal coal in the Illinois Basin was $40 a year ago, and they have 
$175. In July, it's $150. If you contracted your coal, you got to wait till the contracts run off. But I mean, that's, that's a huge increase. I think that number will come down as gas levels down, but that, that just shows the impact of, you know, this energy transition on commodities. Copper, you know, is weaker. I think there again, China uses an awful lot of copper. What China's done in past slowdowns is they built a lot, you know, like office buildings and apartment buildings and whatnot. That that kind of thing uses a lot of copper. Here, they're not going to be able to do that. I don't think their companies in those areas already have a great deal of debt and and uh, you know and had offshore debt, which they're having to re, you know reorganize, hire you know U.S firms specializing in bankruptcies and whatnot to advise these, in effect, Chinese real estate companies. They don't have much of a feel for agricultural commodities, but obviously Ukraine makes a huge difference there. But, you know, I think the general trend in commodity pricing for the moment is down. And with that large backwardation persisting. In terms of the impact on the overall market and the capital markets of recession concerns and lower commodity prices and whatnot. Two comments are in order. One, the inflation numbers will get better. We don't want to say what Jay Powell and Janet Yellen said this time last year that's transitory, but there's no question, I think, when you look at these commodity price declines, that inflation will be less in September and October, whether it'll down enough to help the Democrats in the midterms is another question, but the trend will be trend will be down. The Fed apparently is going to have another 75 basis point increase in the Fed funds rate next week. Me, that's not really the issue. The issue is what are they going to do with the balance sheet? And the balance sheet is way too high. They took it from four trillion to nine trillion to combat COVID, and they need to bring it down. But they seem a little wary about doing that. They said in December, in a minutes that if they just put it on rundown, it'd be ninety billion a month. But then later, you know, sixty days later, they said that in the first three months of, of rundown, which I think are March, April, and May, they're just going to have it run down thirty billion a month. They clearly are very worried about the impact of of quantitative tightening or QT on not only our economy but you know, worldwide economies. The reason they have to get, it seems to me, the reason they have to get back to something like $4 trillion is for when they need it for another rescue mission. On the other hand, they have to be careful to not have long-term interest rates get up too much. The government, having borrowed all this money, you know, $30 trillion of federal debt, think about it, 1% increase in what the government has to pay for its debt, $300 billion, all the discretionary programs, in other words, not Medicare, not Medicaid, this is a discretionary program, not the Defense Department, only use $900 billion in our government. So, I mean, huh, you can't take the $900 billion to $600 billion, no matter who you are, you know, where you say the government does too much and we need to cut the government, whatnot. No one's proposing they can take $900 billion, $600 What do they do when interest? Plus, go up by three hundred billion. Well, they go up two percent, six hundred billion. So they've got a problem that they're going to have to live with. And I suspect that the administration, the people around Biden, hoping to kind of hold it all together until 
they leave office and they probably all would like to get another four years, but you know, there really is no answer. It's just an intractable problem that, you know, we, we all 320 million of us are going to have to cope with. The companies we want to feature today are, we spent time last week on Apple and Amazon. And the one we'd like to focus in this week is Microsoft. Now, the best way, and I can turn it over to Mike for the rest of the half hour. The way I think about Microsoft is I once owned it and I got so unhappy with how they were squandering money that they made from the Windows system and their office system on things like search, where clearly they were never going to catch up with Google. I just sold it. That was many, many years ago. The thing is up like, I don't know, 10 or 12 times since that time. It's big. I mean, Apple and Microsoft are both trading, say, Apple a little more than $2 trillion, Microsoft a little under $2 trillion. Apple has free cash flow. In other words, cash flow after taxes, after CapEx and whatnot, about $110 billion to $120 billion. Microsoft is just behind them, maybe $90 or $100 billion. So, I mean, these companies have great balance sheets. I think they're in an awfully strong position vis-a-vis their competitors. Obviously, Apple, you have a kind of risk because they make so much of the stuff, you know, iPhones, iPads, and all that kind of stuff in China. Microsoft may be a little more diversified there, but just really sensational companies. And one of the great advantages of a drawdown like we're having now where, where you know, because of recession, because lack of confidence in Biden, because of higher interest rates, because the Fed's going to take its balance sheet down. I mean, NASDAQ index is down 30 points. The S&P 500 is down, I don't know, 23 or 4 points. I mean, if it continues to go down, one of the ways to think about this is you've always wanted to own Apple or Microsoft. You know, you'll have a chance to get it cheaper. With that, Mike's going to focus in on Microsoft and what gives them kind of a, an advantage that's going to be very hard for anyone to cut into. So over to you, Mike. Okay, so for Microsoft, the first thing I think we should do is look at their three different segments that they report on. So if you are reading the the 10K with us, this is page 31, they break down revenue by segment and as well as operating income. And the first segment is productivity and business processes. That's your Microsoft Office suite. So think Microsoft Word, Excel. Office 365, which is the subscription version, cloud version of all the products. It also includes LinkedIn and the different business lines on LinkedIn, which is a social network for businesses. And the last thing that's included in there is Microsoft Dynamics CRM, which is a competitor to Salesforce in a way. The second group is the intelligent cloud, which is Microsoft Azure that competes primarily with Amazon AWS and Google cloud. And the third category is called more personal computing. And this lumps in Microsoft windows licensing, the Microsoft surface and Xbox, other Microsoft branded devices. And then importantly, the gaming segment, which includes all the Xbox stuff, all the games, all the subscription search services and whatnot that are associated with it. These three segments are all large, the smallest being the more personal computing at $14.5 billion last quarter, the largest being cloud at $19 billion. What's 
interesting about all these, and we'll start with productivity and business process. Office, Microsoft Office is a mainstay of business in general, especially at the high end. Only recently has Microsoft started pushing into lower end Microsoft Office. In other words, offering a defeatured version of Microsoft Office Suite for businesses that can't afford it. And this has enabled them to start furthering their reach into other countries that aren't willing to spend as much as we are here in the U.S. Gives them something to compete against with the um, the Google the Google for Work suite, which has some comparable products. Point being is that pretty much every business needs Microsoft Office. And with their ability to push down into international markets, it actually really diversifies their revenue base as well. One thing I thought was interesting in here is that no single country or customer makes up more than 10% of their revenue, except for the United States. So the United States makes up a large chunk of the revenue, but to think that no other single country makes up more than 10% is pretty interesting. Yeah, just on page 30, which uh, from the 10Q, the interesting thing I found is that, you know, drawing a distinction with Apple, Apple being more dependent because so much of their stuff is made in China. Uh, the U.S. is more than half of their revenues. It's interesting to me in terms of diversification, uh, having, you know, macro risk from things going. I mean, suppose China invaded Taiwan and we sanctioned China. I, I think having watched, watched Russia get sanctioned, I think the chance of China doing that is way more remote. But still, if you're trying to make up your mind between Microsoft and Apple, you definitely have, I think, unless Mike disagrees, or macro risk with Apple that have with Microsoft. I totally agree. I mean, Microsoft is going to have some foreign currency impact because half of that revenue does come from abroad. But all things considered, it is more diversified when it comes to international risk. So I think it's really an interesting and telling part of it. The intelligent cloud part is growing, specifically Microsoft Azure, is growing extremely fast. It's actually growing at a faster clip than AWS. And that's partly because they lump in, they're able to convert a lot of their legacy on-prem customers to cloud or hybrid cloud. And that business seems to be doing quite well. The last piece, more personal computing, likely is going to see some headwinds this coming quarter, because what we saw from the Micron earnings a few weeks ago is that personal computer demand is dropping off. And prior to COVID, PC demand had been tepid for many years. This kind of changed during COVID for a number of reasons. First, a lot of businesses had to buy new computers for their for their staff to work from home. So that drove a ton of sales in personal computing personal computers. It also drove a lot of individual or hobbyist purchases for gaming and other just casual use because people were at home more. So because they couldn't go out, you need to entertain yourself one way or another and a computer is a good way to do that. So I think there's some pressure on, on that part of the business. There's some pressure probably on gaming as well, although they've come off of a pretty strong launch of a new Xbox product last year whatnot. So uh, all that is to say is the most interesting piece is that every one of these segments is still growing at a pretty rapid clip. 
when compared to the other big tech companies, specifically Apple, who we looked at last week, Apple's going to struggle to grow at a 10% clip year over year, unless they just blow out expectations based on what analysts believe are going to happen. Microsoft, on the other hand, seems to be better positioned to grow. And in an inflationary environment, most of their products are so necessary. They're probably much easier. It'll be much easier for Microsoft to increase their prices. So uh, I'll pause there, Hunt, if you have any other questions, but we can get into valuation. Mike and I really like the idea of speaking from the 10 Qs, the latest 10 Qs. And if you turn to page six of the Microsoft 10Q, they have a cash flow statement for the nine months ended March 31. They're on a June 30 year. So the 10K will come out probably in first week of August or something. And then when we talk about Microsoft, we'll talk from the 10K, but because that'll be the most recent financial statements available. But look at page six in the investing in the cash flow. They do seem to acquire companies. I mean, they spent $20 billion in the first nine months acquiring companies, but they had relatively little addition to property and equipment with $17 billion. And what I draw a contrast with Amazon, where Amazon is taking almost all the cash flow and reinvesting it. Presumably, some part of that is going into Amazon Web Services. So, as Michael says, looks as though the Microsoft Azure product is growing faster than Amazon Web Services. It's still smaller in terms of market share by most estimates, but they seem to be able to do it in a more capital efficient way, where there's plenty of extra capital flow after their CapEx program. So I find that very impressive. Yeah, I agree. And one of the things you'll see that's a little bit different Microsoft versus Apple, for example, Apple spends less on its CapEx than it, it experiences in depreciation expense. When you compute the amount of cash flow that you want to estimate as free cash flow, sometimes in that case in particular, I like to use the actual depreciation rather than the CapEx because the depreciation tends to be representative of what's actually consumed during the period. Apple actually sees less CapEx and more depreciation. The explanation for that is, is they've brought a lot of their R&D in-house where they previously used to use contractors to develop some of the manufacturing facilities, specifically in China. They've taken more of that in-house. So the cost ends up in R&D rather than in CapEx. So I just thought that was an interesting point to point out when you're looking at this specifically on the cash flow statement. And the couple of minutes we have left, we want to mention Tesla. Tesla regularly at the last day of the quarter announces how many cars they delivered and they delivered fewer cars than I did the first quarter, which is, that's the first time that's happened in quite a while. And apparently the lockdowns in Shanghai hurt their manufacturing of cars in Shanghai. The other interesting thing is they admit that in their history, they've had a heck of a time bringing these car factories out. In other words, when we've discussed it and four factories, you know, the original factory, uh, 
California, the factory outside of Shanghai and China, factory outside of Austin, Texas, and a factory in East Berlin and in, uh, in Germany, they more or less have forecasts, I think, that getting the bugs out and getting the things. So the factories, as we've discussed in the past, will make four or 500,000 cars. So it'll be, when they're all up and operating, it'll be 2 million cars. Some of you will remember, and they had so much trouble, I think, with the Model 3. At some point, he said, look, I'm just going to go to the factory. This is in California. I'm going to sleep on the floor. I'm not even going to sleep on a, a cot. I'm just going to work there until we get this fixed. It is a challenge for Tesla. I think it would be a challenge for Ford or GM or whatnot. Remember, if you haven't been on prior calls, when we look at Tesla's 10Q as compared to Ford's 10Q or General Motors, Tesla has less than more cash flow. And now it's got a billion shares outstanding trading for $750. We think that a reasonable number, so you've got the, your percentage free cash flow to equity down in the 5% range would be around $500. Now, once again, we're not predicting $500 for Tesla, but you can expect to see their 10Q sometime in the third or fourth week of July. It'll probably have pretty weak results with the lower car deliveries. And, you know, and that plug market grinding lower, you know, $500 we'd pay get within that range. I was just fooling around with numbers. I thought if I had to come up with a comparable number for Microsoft, you know, it's around 250, it's been as high as 350, what number would I use? And you know, the number I started playing with, this isn't definitive for anything, is around $200. Well, $200 would be another 20% decline in Microsoft. Not likely to happen, but not impossible. So this is the way to think about the kind of environment we have in capital markets is let's create opportunities and what we're doing when we talk about apple or microsoft or for that matter tesla talking about pretty high quality businesses that look awfully well positioned to be competition over the next several years so anything to add there mike my number for microsoft came in a little higher i'll put this in our newsletter today and how i got to it but I got to 250 and I was looking at the whole year because I think the run rate from the quarter isn't representative of because they have a little bit of seasonality in their business. So I, I don't think it's fair necessarily just to look at the run rate on the quarter. I mean, good. Well, we've run over three or four minutes. Everyone stay healthy, stay safe, and uh, we'll talk next Wednesday. Take care. Thank you for joining us this week. Please tune in to us again next week as we'll be back on Wednesday. As a reminder, nothing on this podcast should be considered investment advice. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you.